All right, I am also excited to either be the second or the 32nd person to wish you Happy New Year. So Happy New Year, Venture. I'm so grateful that you're here, that you've made an intentional decision to kick off the first Sunday of the new year together here in community with your church family. I'm so grateful that you're here. We're launching a brand new series today in your pastor's heart, has been about 29 years in the making, and I'll explain more of that here in a minute. I'm excited about this series. It's going to take us through the next several weeks, even months. It's going to be an incredible journey together. But before we jump into joy, a journey through Philippians, can I go back in time just a few months? We did this thing this past fall, new life. Many of you are deeply invested in this process as a church family. We did a spiritual growth journey. We called it New Life, and it really was an opportunity to do this, to release, to let go, even of some of the control we feel and hold over our personal finances, to fuel God's kingdom and ministry efforts. I like the way Chris said that. Uh, what do he say? Uh, here, near, and far. That's exactly how we were doing that, what we're aiming for. We had a primary goal. We had a secondary goal. Our primary goal was 100% engagement. 100% of us were to listen to God and to follow his promptings. Secondary goal was to, well, $7 million to fuel here, near, and far kingdom advancement. We celebrated a day, some of you were here for that, where we celebrated in a big way the number that, well, we had committed as a church family, and we were this close to $7 million. I put it in terms like this. It was a solid A. It wasn't quite the A+. Some of us are overachievers. Maybe that's been bugging you as well. Well, the month of December was pretty cool here at Venture. We celebrated that late November, early December, and then many of you were still jumping on board and a part of the process. Can I just say this? December 2023 was the biggest December offering-wise that Venture Christian Church has ever experienced. Can we celebrate that? That's really cool. Really cool. And I got a phone call just a few days before Christmas, maybe the best Christmas gift I could have received as more and more of you were jumping on board. Get this. We met our $7 million goal. Celebrate that. Yeah. How cool is that? God's doing something in us so he can do something through us. I can't wait to see how he fuels kingdom expansion through your continuing generosity. We're going to talk more about those projects and celebrate more of those projects. You're going to be hearing more over the next two years. You're probably going to be sick of this logo by the time two years is over. But I'm so excited to see what God does in us and through us. That brings your pastor joy. Which brings us back to the title of the series that we're launching today. Do you see what I just did there? Okay, so buckle up. Here we go. The sermon series is called Joy. Today we're jumping into a journey. This is a bit of a different rhythm than what we maybe are used to. The title of today's message is, get this, Starving for Joy. That word starving, that's probably an alien term for those of us who have just experienced 
gathering after gathering of Christmas and New Year's celebrations. I bet a lot of our New Year's resolutions center around this part of our body and maybe the calories that have come in and have shown up on our hips or our waistline, and and, uh, maybe you can relate to that. Starving is not a word maybe that we're thinking about right now. That's the temporal. Can we talk about the eternal? Can we think about this through a lens of spiritual lens? Starving for joy. I think our culture is starving for joy. According to a study conducted by the National Institute of Mental Health, this is in 2017. I don't have to remind you, this is pre-pandemic. I bet this number has skyrocketed since then. Major depressive disorder in 2017 affected approximately 17.3 million American adults. Diving deeper, this is a 2022 statistic. The World Health Organization said over 700,000 people die due to suicide each year. Starving for joy. Can you relate? Are there people inside your sphere of influence that you can think of right now who probably could relate to that phrase, that title, starving for joy? I was reading an article this past week. It jumped off the page at me. I thought I'd share it with you. This person said, it's heart-wrenching to confront the idea that the world we live in doesn't care about the quality of our lives. And I thought, in America? What? What? I kept reading, this country is battling a mental health crisis and our leaders aren't doing enough to combat it. I bet that there are a lot of folks who feel that way. Do you know the phrase? I bet you've heard it sometime over the last week or two, New Year's resolutions and all. You are what you eat. You are what you eat, right? Garbage in, garbage out, calories in, I don't know, whatever happens from there. I was just uh, thinking about this this past week, and I was remembering a moment. I pulled out my phone to record something because I had never seen this before. I had heard about it, but I had never seen it. A year and a half ago, I got to go on a hunt. I'm hunting elk in Kentucky, the same hills and hollers that Daniel Boone and Davy Crockett spent time in a couple hundred years ago. Having the experience of a lifetime, probably literally, I'll probably never draw that tag again. I'm chasing elk. I'm looking for elk sign. I see some, but it's moving. I pulled out my phone and I videotaped this. The locals describe this little critter as a tumblebug. Have you ever seen one of these before? It's a tumble bug, little busy little creature. That sound you're hearing is not the bug. That's me calling for a female elk. By the way, I was successful because that call brought in a male. That's a whole another story. What in the world is the tumble bug doing? Well, if you've ever studied one of these critters, you might know it by its more common name. People refer to this as a dung beetle. Oh, okay. So what I'm looking at there, yeah. That's a little rock and little dirt-encrusted elk dung. There you go. All right, that's enough of the dung beetle. With that fresh in your mind's eye, can I ask you this question? What are you feeding on? 
What are you eating? Garbage in, garbage out. We know what he's eating. Listen, as we chart our course for 2024, it's a brand new year. How are you doing with those resolutions? You are what you eat. We're all thinking about diets right now. Can we turn the corner from that to more eternal through a spiritual lens? Jesus talked about this. This is why we're going to open up our Bibles and spend a chunk of time this year in this short book, Philippians. We're going to dive a deep exegetical study into the book of Philippians. You are what you eat. Jesus talks about this right before he launches his three-year earthly ministry. He goes out into the wilderness, 40 days, 40 nights. He is famished because he's intentionally keeping food from his body. He's fasting. He's praying. He's meditating, spending time with God. In the middle of this, the, the devil shows up. The devil tempts him three times. One of them is food, physical food for his body. Look how Jesus responds. He quotes Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. He humbled you. This is Old Testament. Jesus is quoting Deuteronomy to the devil. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, well, we're talking to the nation of Israel, who's just escaped from Egypt. They've been slaves. Now they're not. They need food. God shows up, manna from heaven, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known to teach you that. Here's what Jesus says to the devil. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. What are you feeding on? Garbage in, garbage out. Let's go back to the temporal. The American diet is awful. We know this, right? The food pyramid probably was a scam perpetuated by the big sugar industries. They lied to us. They said, eat these processed foods. It's going to be more convenient. It's going to be better for you. Bunch of liars. Similarly, you've probably bought into the lie that fast food is good food. Is it? Or is it slowly killing us? Let me make this statement. There's nothing fast about discipleship. I mean, in an instant, my life can be changed. In an instant, I can ask Jesus to be Savior and Lord of my life. I can ask him and invite him, and I start the journey. But Paul talks about this. We'll study it later. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Something about this life with Jesus is designed to be process-oriented. It had a starting moment. But it's a lifelong journey. There's nothing fast about discipleship. So we're going to take our time. We're going to consume this meal slowly, this book of Philippians. We're going to give time and space to digest it well, to process it, to spend some time letting it seep into our hearts and our minds. Because I'm confident of this. What God begins, he always finishes. I told you just a bit ago that this study is about 29 years in the making in my heart. What do I mean by that? So when I was in Bible college, there's something about Bible college you need to know if you never spent time there. I think that the professors and like the academic dean and folks there had a bit of the, a chip on their shoulders that, hey, we want to be compared, like we're a real organization. We're a real institution of higher education. I had this friend my freshman year who the year before had been a freshman in pre-med program. 
He was studying to be a doctor. That caught my attention because that was my original plan, and I ended up at Bible college, and I was only planning to be there for a year, and so I listened to him as he was saying, listen, I think some of the coursework I'm doing was, is harder than the biology and chemistry and the other stuff that I was taking at the university because these professors just keep dumping the, the workload on us. I, there might be something to that. And I found myself, like my sophomore year, with a group of other ministry majors sitting in front of the academic dean. What is the deal with all of the Greek? Like 120 hours for an undergraduate degree program, 21, it might have been 23 hours, I have in Koine Greek. 21 hours studying a dead language. Why? Because it's what the New Testament has written. I, I get that. But why do I need 21? This is right at the beginning of the season where computers are becoming a real thing. And there were like, you know, real programs that we could study. And we went in and said to the academic dean, listen, we're not uh, going to be like academics. We're studying to be preachers. Do we have to have 21 hours of this? Boys, go back and study. You're going to do the work. Yeah. So this brings me to third year Greek. My final was to translate the book of Philippians. And I found it was easier to just memorize the book. So that's how I passed the class. And that started something in my heart that God has been working for 29 years. I can't wait to share with you some of the richness that comes out of the book of Philippians. Paul is writing a letter to a church. You saw that in the video earlier. Grab this truth today. Paul, as he writes this letter, he loved these people, loved them. It just oozes out of the language. When you look underneath the text, you see it there as well. By the way, have you ever heard the phrase, teachers don't have favorites? Have you ever heard that? It's a lie. It's a lie. I just heard a yes. Somebody before the last hour was actually in the room. One of our greeters was in when we were kind of doing a run-through, and they heard that. They grabbed me in the lobby even before the last service started and said, you're right, that's a lie. Teachers do have favorites. I can't tell you how many times over the years a teacher has done one of these to me. We, we, we do have favorites. Now, what teachers have to avoid, and I think you would agree with this, they shouldn't show favoritism. That's different than having personal affection. We gravitate to different personality types, right? That's just human nature. Paul talks about this. He actually says, don't show favoritism. This is a teaching point. And I think he lives that and models that well. He doesn't show favoritism to these different churches that he's writing back to that he planted on his missionary journeys. But I do think he had some favorites. And I think Philippians, the church in Philippi, was at the top of that list. And it just oozes out of the writing. I can't wait to study this text together. We see in the book of Philippians, Paul is an apostle. Those of you who are entrepreneurs, driven, entrepreneurial type of people, you get Paul. You get what drove him to get on the next ship, to get in the next caravan and travel to the next city to proclaim the life-changing message of Jesus Christ and to plant a church there and then to move on to the next space. That's what he did. I think he had a special place in his heart. I think we see his pastoral heart leak out as he writes to the church in Philippi. 
There's one of my favorite books on the art of pastoral leadership. It's by Dr. Lynn Anderson. It's called They Smell Like Sheep. And it's the idea that we're shepherds, those of us that are called pastors. And we spend time with the sheep, and we love the sheep, and we do life with the sheep. Sometimes we're hurt by the sheep. I think we see Paul's heart leak over and over and over again in these four short chapters. Of all the letters written by the Apostle Paul, Philippians is probably the most personal and heartwarming in nature. It reveals Paul's character. It's been called by Bible scholars, quote, a window into the Apostle's own heart throughout this letter. The word that we see over and over again, actually look for it. Every time we read it, you ought to circle it in your Bible. It's the word joy or a version of the word joy. Rejoice. Before we start reading that text together, though, by the way, if you want to go there with me, I'm going to jump around the book of Philippians today. It's designed, this passage or this message is designed to be an overview of the book. We're going to dive in chapter 1, verse 1 next week. But if you want to go there with me now, grab your Bible, pull it out. If you don't have your Bible with you, great, reach underneath that seat in front of you and pull out that Bible. I'm on page 1,178 of that particular Bible, page 1,178. I want to show you a cool resource. These will be available for you beginning next Sunday. We'll have them in the lobby when you come in for church next Sunday. I would invite you to stop by before you walk in here and grab one of these. We'll have them available for a suggested donation of $5. We're not making money, just passing these along to you. It's designed to be an incredible resource that you can bring with you each Sunday. It's literally got the text printed in here. And then it's got space for some cool, some of you are doodlers, you're going to do some doodling over here. Maybe you'll write your sermon notes over here. You can underline and circle and draw. And at the end of this series, you're going to have this as a resource that you can keep on a shelf. 29 years from now, you could go back and pull it off the shelf and see what God has been doing in your life. Discipleship, 29 years in the making. I'd invite you to grab one of these resources next week and utilize it well. Some of you can't wait for next week. You'd like to dive in this week. Well, it'll be $5 suggested donation next Sunday. You could grab it off of Amazon today if you want. I think it's prime. You'd have it in a day or two. If you want to do that route, it's going to cost you 7 bucks. but you can, uh, you can see uh, if you search Philippians ESV, you're looking for the Illuminated Scripture Journal. Make sure you buy the Philippians version. That's the one that we're going to utilize. You're welcome to grab that if you're impatient and you just can't wait for next Sunday. I want to show you right now. Let's launch into this. Let's look through some key passages and let's look for how often we see that word joy. Join me on this journey. Philippians chapter 1, verse 3. I thank my God. You see his pastor's heart leaking here. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for you, I always pray, and I believe he did, with joy. Huh. Joy. Let's look at the next verse. Skip ahead to verse 18. The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. What's going on there? Well, he has just said, listen, some are preaching Christ with false motives. 
But whether false motives or true, the important thing is that the message of Jesus is getting out there. We're going to wrestle through that in a few weeks. That's such an interesting thought. And because of this, I rejoice. Joy to be found even through manipulation or the result of a mistake. Skip ahead. Next verse, 25. Convinced of this. Oh, my goodness, what's happening here? He's wrestling literally with life or death issues. Perhaps you noticed in that journal, you saw a picture of a bit ago. I highlighted verse 21, my favorite verse in the book. To live is Christ, to die is gain. We're going to wrestle through that here in a few weeks. There is some weighty subject matter to wrestle through there. Paul seems to have the option. He could have said the wrong thing or the right thing to the right or the wrong person, and it would have ended his life. He's wrestling with, do I stay? Do I go? Do I head to heaven now? Do I wait until later? Interesting to think about. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. Joy even in the face of death. Skip ahead. Chapter 2, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. Do this together in community. Joy isn't just an individual thing. It's designed to infect a community of believers. I pray it does that over the next several weeks, even months, together as we study this passage. Skip ahead. After the Christ hymn, verse 16, as you hold out to the word of life in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing in vain, but even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad. Even if I die, I'm glad and I rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Aha, there's a reciprocal nature to this joy. It's designed to be infectious. Skip ahead to the next one. Philippians chapter 3, verse 1, finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. Yeah, 16 times. It's a safeguard for you. I'm going to keep mentioning it. You need more joy in your life. Skip ahead to the next verse. Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my ground, I want you to hold out firm. Don't give up. Never surrender. Skip ahead to the next one. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. This time emphatically. By the way, that second time, it's a command in the text. I learned that third year Greek. Rejoice. I'm telling you. I'm calling you to this. I'm even commanding you. This is something that God is inviting you and calling you and challenging you to do. In view of all this, 16 times, we only hit a few of them. We can understand why scholars would refer to this as, quote, Paul's song of joy. Sixteen times he uses the word. We sang a song just a bit ago. It reminded me of chapter 2 of Philippians. I can't wait to study this together with you. It's called the Christ Hymn. It's quite literally, probably, a song that the early church, first century in Philippi, sang when they gathered together for worship. 
It's rich in theology of who Jesus is, and they sang this song to to remind themselves and even to teach themselves who Jesus is and what he had done for them. We sang a song earlier today, and it made me think about that and the reciprocal nature of then and now. Philippians, we're the secondary audience. They were the primary audience, but we are definitely a secondary audience of Philippians. There's so much for us to draw from that. We sang the song by Cody Carnes, Firm Foundation. Did you catch these lines? I've still got joy in chaos. I've got a peace that makes no sense. Paul talks about it in Philippians as the peace that passes understanding. This is a loose translation of that text. It makes no earthly sense, the peace that passes understanding. As we begin this short letter, the study of the book of Philippians, I think it would be helpful for us to see the value that this book has for us, especially in light of today's society. Speaking of, do me a favor right now. Would you reach up in the seat back in front of you and pull out one of these tools? It really is a tool. It's a postcard. I don't know about you, but I I could not go to my mailbox for three weeks in a row and be just fine. There's almost nothing in there that I need, which is what makes it so special when somebody, one of you or a friend of mine, writes, like, pen and paper, writes a letter or writes a postcard and mails it to me, that's special. This is designed to be a tool for you to utilize, to invest and to invite. And it would be my prayer that there would be somebody, as I'm talking, that comes to your mind and you think, you know what, I ought to send that to them. This series might impact them. We're going to begin it in a big way next week. Would you just let the Holy Spirit whisper to you over the next few minutes, who is it that you could invest in and who you could invite? Let me make this observation. Joy, 16 times. This is kind of the point I want to make today. Joy begins with peace. Joy begins with peace. How was your Christmas? Did you feel peace? How much chaos did you feel? Oh my goodness, after Christmas services here, we did, we grabbed a couple of family gatherings, Christmas gatherings, then Don and I jumped on a plane. We flew out to Colorado to visit our son. Plane to Denver, five-hour drive through some mountain passes to get there, five-hour drive back through those same mountain passes to get back to the airport to fly back. Then we get back here. Last week was catching up on a pile of emails. Sorry, some of you, I still need to get back with you. Then we closed on a new house this past week. Oh boy, my goodness, signing your life away, right? Hmm. Then in the middle of that, I realized I need to have insurance for this new house. And so in the middle of trying to gather insurance together and make all those phone calls, somehow I panicked for a little bit. For about two hours, I thought I had been the victim of some kind of identity theft. I bought this online, and I thought, oh my goodness, what happened? What have I done? What a kind of a sucker was I in the middle of this? I've got knots in my shoulder. Then we get into the new house. We've got the keys, and it's like, oh my goodness, there's a list a mile long of the things that need to happen over the next couple of months. How's your peace quotient right now? Can anybody relate to that? Silent night, holy night, sleep in heavenly peace. Joy begins with peace. Okay, with the rest of the time that I have with you, I want to share with you a three-sided triangle. 
Three sides to this triangle. The first side is we search for peace. I don't know if you've tried to create, manufacture momentum. It's hard to create momentum for a snowball. Some of you discovered this yesterday when you're pushing it uphill. By the way, we're going to create a triangle here. And some of you are going to flash back to high school or maybe even middle school geometry. And you're going to go, is that an isosceles or is that an equilateral triangle? I know this because I did the same thing as I was working through these notes myself, so much so that I got a ruler out and I measured. Some of you right now are Googling isosceles and equilateral. You haven't remembered that, but you're pulling that back into your brain right now. And it, this is what's going to be so fun for me. At some point, as we make this triangle appear, I'm going to look out and I'm going to see at least one of you doing this. I know this because I took my, my laptop yesterday and I did the same thing. And I think you're going to do that as well. I saw it first hour. Here we go. We search for peace. Would you agree with this statement? Peace of mind is something that people are looking for today. It is, right? The Bono U2 song that I learned in the 80s. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I'm looking for peace, but I still have not found it According to the CDC, 2015, 2018, 13.2% of Americans 18 and older reported taking antidepressant medications the past 30 days before that. I bet that number has gone up since COVID. In addition to drugs, prescription, and illegal, There are tranquilizing books that you could read on peace, right? Bestsellers promising peace of mind. When I was looking for this resource on Amazon, I just I kind of looked to see what kind of peace books would be available for me to read. Over 60,000 of them. 60,000 promising peace of mind. There are numbing distractions. I talked about this Christmas Eve services, but oh, that blessed distraction, numbing distractions. I talked about doom scrolling, and then I caught myself over Christmas gatherings doing just that. It's almost like muscle memory, peace, something people are looking for today. But here's the thing coping strategies often do more harm than good. Why? Well, here's just a few of the reasons why. They fail to provide lasting peace. It's temporary. They fail to deal with the problem of sin. They're not cutting it out at the root issue. They don't provide peace with God. They aim to escape rather than to face reality. So what does this have to do with the book of Philippians? I'm so glad you asked. Remember, there's three sides to this triangle. We search for peace, but oh, this is where momentum really begins to find its way down. Remember the dung beetle pushing his prize uphill? We discover in the book of Philippians that Paul found peace, and it turned into joy, and he shares it with us. By the way, he found peace of mind even though several things 
even though he was actually in jail. He was imprisoned at the time. You could find this several places in the text. Let me point to Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. There's this language of him being under the palace guard. Let's look ahead in the next verse. He talks about his chains for Christ. He repeats it. He's in jail, and he finds peace of mind. He also knows that he's getting ready to be martyred for his faith. I mentioned to you in chapter 1, it's almost like he's wrestling with this life or death opportunity. He might soon be a martyr. Check this out, verse 17 of chapter 2. Even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering, that's big language. Sacrifice. I'm getting ready to die for my faith. Even in spite of that, I'm going to rejoice. And then he repeats it. How about this? He was alone. Even though he was alone, he found peace. And from a jail cell, he writes a letter because he wants to share his joy with others. Verse 4 of the last chapter of Philippians. Chapter 4, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again emphatically this time. Rejoice. Skip ahead a line or two. Look at this, how he wants to share it with them. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He wants to share his joy with others. Let's go back to our three-sided triangle. And this is the moment where I see some of you doing this. I love that. We search for peace. Paul found peace. So let's seek joy through peace with him. Let's learn from what he has experienced. Our goal for the next several weeks, even months together, is to work backwards through this triangle. We're going to see it the example that he has set so that we can find peace ourselves. Let me share with you why real quick. While I'm sharing these, would you pay special attention to these and think about who is it inside your sphere of influence that you know that needs this in their life right now? And then invite them to be a part of this experience. Because Philippians reveals the nature of true peace and joy. We learn that it's joy that's only found in the Lord. Look at that line again, verse 4 of chapter 4. Rejoice where? In my own accomplishments? Rejoice in my own experiences? Uh-uh. In the Lord. He's learned the secret of being content in any and every circumstance. Because he's doing it with Jesus. He knows the peace that passes understanding. It makes no earthly sense. Remember this in chapter 4, verse 7. He describes this peace that transcends all understanding. This is crazy peace. I can't wait to talk about that the week we get to that. This text reveals a man, Paul, who provides an example of what joy and peace can do for a person. We see, um, we see this in Philippians chapter 4, verse 9. He says, Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Elsewhere in Scripture, he says, Follow me as I follow Christ. We see in this, these four short chapters his love for the church. Chapter 1, verse 8. 
God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. We see his devotion to the Lord. Oh, my favorite verse, Philippians 1.21, for to live is Christ, to die is gain. If that's not enough for you, sometimes read Philippians chapter 3, verse 7 and following and see about his devotion to Jesus there. We read about his striving for perfection. Look at Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. Not that I've already obtained all of this or already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of for me. We see his concern for his enemies. He talks about how many have lived as enemies of the cross of Christ, but he sees them and he even feels concern for them. He feels peace, which leads to joy, even in the middle of having mortal enemies. This text reveals so many things. But maybe the, for my money, the most important thing that these four short chapters in this short letter reveal is that Christ is the ultimate source of peace which can lead to joy. Has somebody come to your mind? Has there been somebody that you've thought of that needs this peace which leads to joy? Would you risk a little and invest in them? and invite them? Could we go back to the dung beetle? Could we start or stop this message where we started? Could we look at this one more time? He's pushing what we know what it is now uphill. But did you notice the first time what he just did? He turned around backwards. He's pushing a pile of poop elk dung. I was so grateful to see that on the ground because then I knew, well, there are elk in these hills that I'm here chasing. Evidence, proof positive of that. He's pushing poop uphill blind, backwards. And I just wonder, who do you know inside your sphere of influence, they don't have joy in their life because they do not, well, they're not walking with Jesus. They're missing out on that opportunity. They're going uphill, pushing it uphill, backwards, blind, and you're sitting on the answer. You know, you know the source of your joy. If you haven't yet done so, I would invite you to take that postcard, pray over it. Who is it that you could invest in? Who could you invite? And just flip that thing over to the back side. If it were me and I were writing it out right now, I might use language like this. Dear Chad, my church just launched a new series about joy. In fact, the whole study is centered around finding joy and living in joy, even in the middle of the crazy stuff life throws at us. Listen, I'd love for you to join me at Venture some Sunday. I'll talk to you soon. Sign your name. You put it in your own language. Make it your own. I'll tell you what. If you do it right now and you leave it with us, we'll save you the cost of a stamp. We'll stamp it and mail it for you. You're saying, well, I don't, I don't know their address. Listen, you could stalk them on Zillow. You could find their address if you really wanted to find it right now. Write their address on there. Sign the invitation. Leave it out here as you leave in the middle of the lobby, and we'll mail it for you. Or if you want to pray over it and take it home, put your own first-class stamp. It's a bigger postcard. You need to put a first-class stamp on there to mail it. If you're willing to do that, take it home and do that there. But could I challenge you to invest 
and to invite somebody's pushing it uphill. And they're blind and they're doing it backwards and you're sitting on the answer. We're going to respond in worship here in a minute, but not until after we take the opportunity to think, well, think about our neighbors and our loved ones and our coworkers. I would invite you to write that invitation and do that right where you're sitting. I'm going to pray for you, and then we're going to respond in worship. God, I thank you. I thank you for this opportunity. We're on the edge of a journey. I can't wait to see where you take us as we read through and study this book together. God, I don't want to do it alone. I love this group of people, but I would love, <laughs> I would love to see others here life-changing life-giving, peace which yields joy. I would pray that upon them. I pray over these postcards that we're thinking about right now. I pray that you use them as a powerful invitation tool. I pray that in your name, in Jesus' name, amen.